You guys, welcome to episode 76 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known, and more importantly, not so well-known, hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McEady. How's it going? Um, uh, happy post-Christmas, happy pre-New Year's, um, happy, like, almost 2019, happy 2018 almost being over, like, what a fucking abysmal year, like, what a terrible, low-down monkey with a wig on, offensive, horrendous, just hellscape of a year, like, truly, nothing good came out of 2018, I'd be very hard-pressed to find uh, something positive that came out of this year, besides the fact that Miley Cyrus and uh, and Liam Hemsworth uh, finally got married and announced their marriage. Good for them. That was beautiful. My, I don't know if you saw if you I mean if you listen to this podcast, you probably follow Miley Cyrus on Instagram. Um, her post was fucking adorable and uh, made me feel things. Obviously, because you know we had just talked about Miley not that long ago. So, proud of her, happy for her, Miley. You're clearly listening. Girl, have a good day at work today, and I'm proud of you. Um, you guys, I'm like, I'm a little off my game today. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little off my game. I'm a little sick, but not like flu sick. I'm pukey sick. Can we talk for a second? I'm like, like, even now my stomach is turning. Like, you may hear weird false starts in certain parts of this episode because I just like can't stop uh king I don't know what's wrong with me I I don't know I woke up today and just I don't know I'm supposed to be working at some point and I just don't know if it's gonna happen for me I don't know if it's in the cards your boy is um not feeling his best but today's episode will get me through it you can you can because I can hear it so I know that you can literally hear like you know that tone that people have to their voice where it becomes a little bit softer because they, like, either have vomited or they, like, think that they might, and there's, like, the fear of projecting too much from your throat? Like, I don't, I only want soft whispers coming from my throat today. I'm gonna sound like Michael Jackson the entire day. I, I, I can't handle anything boisterous or anything like that because, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a good place, uh... <laughs> But hopefully Macaulay Culkin and Mila Kunis can shepherd me true. Can we talk for a second? First of all, I'm so beyond excited. You guys, I don't know. I think that I have expressed to you my love of Macaulay Culkin and the impact that he had on my childhood. But I don't know if I've really been able to like go into detail because why would I? Um, and today's, the, today's your lucky day because you get to figure out and learn um, the impact that uh, Macaulay Culkin, specifically Kevin McAllister, had on me as a youth. I mean, truly, he was one of my idols. Like, I, I will tell you this now, and I'll make this joke now, and I'll make it again, but, like, to me, Macaulay Culkin, when I was, like, five, was, like, a grown-ass man. Like, I didn't look at him and see, like, a cute, funny kid who was, like, wise beyond his years. I saw an adult man who was, like, taking care of his house uh, fighting off burglars, going to the grocery store, buying laundry detergent, using coupons, and sitting down at the formal proper dinner table with like a good old nasty fork and knife situation to eat a mac and cheese, like uh, lean, lean cuisine or whatever the fuck he had. Like to me, he was like, Macaulay Culkin was an adult male. Like he was like a grown ass man. And I also had a huge crush on him. He was my first ever crush as a kid, which is really weird because... 
it's weird like when you are a certain age like when, whatever age you are you look at people the same age as you and you see them as your peers so to me like i said seeing macaulay culkin as a kid uh now i'm like i don't know what i was thinking but like back then when i was in elementary school like I, again i thought macaulay culkin was like a david hasselhoff like i was like this is a man this is like my burt reynolds literally i'm not kidding um and then obviously Mila Kunis is everything. I mean, w- w- there's nothing really negative that you can say about Mila. She's great. Um, and this is a really interesting couple because their fame sort of um, crossed paths in a weird way where, you know, Mila, when she started dating him, was sort of an unknown. And, you know, the movies that she had, the sort of notches in her belt were all terrible i mean she had starred in a bunch of really horrible movies and if not horrible um she was not like the star of any of those movies like you don't think of her when you think of them um and then with macaulay he was like such a huge star during the time that she met him and they sort of crossed paths in this weird way where like she became super super famous and at the end of their relationship she was starring in black swan and then macaulay took you know uh a, a, a short break that he referred to as a break at the time but ended up becoming a retirement where he stopped act, stopped acting and kind of fell out of the spotlight and um you know the period of his career in which they got together like he was in a really sort of low point um but yeah this is just one of those weird odd pairings that people for some reason for see, do you do you hear the shakiness in my voice by the way i mean literally it is like it sounds like i have a gun to my head recording this like i'm i'm literally trembling um but this is one of those weird couples where like you know people sort of forget that they were an a thing and this doesn't belong on any sort of uh you know shortest celebrity couples of all time or whatever list they were together for eight years i mean like the mila kunis that you know and love obviously we all know and love mila from that 70s show but like actress mila who stars in big blockbuster films like she was with him during the time that she was they actually they had just broken up when she was promoting black swan so this wasn't like some you know teenage love affair that didn't go anywhere like they were actually in love and they were a really really big part of each other's lives so i'm excited to get into it um also, by the way, I should warn you that uh, this is a unique relationship in the sense that um, both Mila and Macaulay are so crazy secretive about this relationship. And I think that that's probably out of respect for him um, because she's not like that about anyone else that she's been with. Um, so my research for this episode is a, little bit, is a little bit different than it is for any other episode I've done. It's a little bit more scattered and... Um, it's not really so much in chronological order because it's it's it was truly like pulling teeth to get any sort of like i don't know exclusives from them or uh you know sources says moments but i found them of course you know yeah where there is a will there is a way and where there is a uh an old-timey paparazzi website from 1999 like i'll find it you know what i mean uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Um, Mila and Macaulay started dating in December of 2002. They broke up in February of 2012. And like I said, this is known as one of those sort of forgotten couples. Um, I think Mila's relationship with Ashton just kind of overshadows any potential that this one had of being like a, you know, like considered like iconic or um, being something that people look back on and like, sort of like, I don't know, 
uh, I don't know, try and like break down or figure out or whatever. It, this is just something that people don't really talk about ever. Um, McCulley was, uh, he, you know, he very famously suffered some substance abuse issues during this time, which has never really been confirmed. And um, we don't technically know what he was taking or what he was doing. Um, we will get to it, but um, it's never really, I mean, Macaulay Culkin isn't one of those people that like did like a people magazine cover where he says, where he like talks about his abuse issues. Like he has made hints that there were some substances and he, he refers to them as silly things. Um, but he's, you know, he's just, um, he's so private. You know what I mean? That's the thing is like Macaulay Culkin is so private and your, um, you know, <laughs> your like perception of him is the least important thing on his mind really like he's so just does not give a fuck about being a celebrity or being famous or any of those things um by the way i'm breaking my smush room streak of ladies first for the first time specifically because of macaulay colkin because he deserves it we're gonna be talking about macaulay first mila will have to wait sorry hon again i know that you're listening we'll talk i'll, I'll you know i'll text you but I got to start with Macaulay. He's too important. There's too many interesting things to talk about. There's too much to say. And uh, yeah, um, he was born and raised in New York. His father, who was a very, very prominent, prominent part of this episode, as I'm sure you're aware, Kit Culkin. He was a former actor and a producer who walked, <laughs> who worked on Broadway. Um, his mother, Patricia, worked as a phone operator uh, he attended St. Joseph's School of Yorkville for a few years, and then his parents moved him to the iconic professional children's school, uh, which we've talked about many, many times on this podcast. Um, Jack Antonoff, Vanessa Carlton, Misha Barton, uh, Diane Lane, ScarJo, Vera Wang, Carol Kane, Melissa Joan Hart, Christian Slater. I mean, like, the list literally goes on and on it's several pages of alumni that have attended the school your very own tara reed you know what i mean all of the greats all of the greatest talents um he entered the business at age four um his first roles were you know in a string of really successful broadway shows but also of course some tv movies and this really got me thinking because obviously macaulay culkin is a little bit older than me but we come from the same generation and it got me to wondering like, do actors coming up now still appear in TV movies? Because, like, we're all very much past, like, the movie of the week being a staple for families to, like, sit down and watch on a Saturday night together, you know? Um, like, that part of, uh, like, American culture is, like, long gone. But television movies are such a huge part of every successful actor's career. Uh, at the beginning of their career, it's, like, how they all sort of make it. So, do actors still appear in TV movies? I mean, I guess there's, like, Lifetime Originals and stuff, but that, that's, like, it's not really the same anymore. You know, like, the Saturday, the Saturday evening, like, 7.30 p.m., 8 o'clock p.m. movie that you would, like, get a bunch of snacks for and sit down and, like, hang out and watch. You know what I mean? Like, which then a lot of those movies would go on to become what you would consider, quote, Lifetime movies, but, like... I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. Sorry. Pukey Hayes. Pukey. I'm just going to, every time I stutter over something or make no sense or ramble or start to get that shaky voice, I'm just going to call it the Pukey Hayes. Hashtag Pukey Hayes. Your boy is not in his right state of mind. I'm telling you. Like, you know, in cartoons, um, when they look at something and it like becomes a mirage, 
like when Homer like looks at things and they like become donuts. In my mind, everything I'm looking at is a little toilet. Like everything is a reminder that I could go vomit at any time. Um, his big screen debut came in 1988 when he played Cy Blue Black in the movie Rocket. Is it Gibraltar? How do you pronounce that word? Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Pukey Hayes. Hashtag Pukey Hayes. Um, he was also, he had a small role in the uh, Farrah Fawcett, Jeff Bridges, and Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore movie, uh, See You in the Morning. And I think most people can say, like, if you're of a particular age, I think you can easily say that one of the first times you remember seeing Macaulay Culkin, if it wasn't because of some sort of, like, commercial or something, um, was because in 1989 he starred in Uncle Buck. Um, with the beloved John Candy. And, you know, obviously he wasn't the star of that movie, but, like, he really, I mean, Macaulay Culkin is just one of those kids, and we'll get into this, I don't want to, like, jump ahead too much, but he was just one of those kids that you could look at and tell had a lot of star potential. You know what I mean? He just had, like, that it thing that people are either born with or they're not that we've talked about, like, endlessly on this podcast. He he very clearly possessed it, whatever it is. Um, now, when John Hughes wrote the script for Home Alone, um, he wrote it actually with Macaulay in mind. And when he presented it to Patrick Reed Johnson, who turned it down to direct Space Invaders, uh, he uh, obviously he ended up passing on it. But then he presented it to Chris Columbus, um, who did go on to direct the movie, but he actually hated Macaulay Culkin. Um, he felt that Macaulay wasn't right for the part, um, so he insisted that they audition other kids. He referred to it as his directorial responsibility to check other options, and um, they ended up auditioning thousands of kids, and none of them came close to Macaulay's um, not only acting ability, but his comedic timing. Your boy had, like, he had gumption or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, he just, Macaulay Culkin was a fucking funny kid. Um... And to be honest with you, like, the reason I think Home Alone works so well and why it's so, uh, sort of timeless and why people still love it so much, aside from the fact that the movie itself is great, the script is great, the writing is great, there's obviously an outstanding, uh, number of people in that movie that are just fucking awesome, all of the supporting cast in that movie is amazing, um, but, you know, Macaulay Culkin is one of those kids a la, you know, like a Dakota Fanning or you know, like a young Drew Barrymore who just has the, the ability to, like, deliver when it comes to, you know, comedic roles, dramatic roles, you know what I mean? Like, ain't nobody could make your boy cry like Dakota Fanning used to. Are you kidding me? Have you seen Man on Fire? If not, stop listening to me and watch it right goddamn now. You can't go into the new year without having seen Man on Fire. Oh, my God. Creasy Bear? Girl. Oh my god, like Dakota Fanning like standing there crying with that goddamn teddy bear. Are you kidding me? A prodigy, you know what I mean? And like Macaulay Culkin was that. Um Catherine O'Hara, who, you know, very famously played his mom in the movie, said, uh, she said Macaulay was the first child actor I had ever worked with, and she said he was a dear little boy with a beautiful face, and he was so funny. He had a 1940s style of straight delivery. And, like, legitimately, he had, like, a, uh, like, a comedic technique at, like, eight. You know what I mean? Like, it's, um, it's wild. Like, he really did have, like, an old-timey sort of, um, that sort of blank stare delivery of insane lines that makes them even funnier because he's, like, looking you dead in your eyes and telling you to, uh, calling a horse's ass or whatever. Um, 
Now, by the time John Hughes had sort of leaned into taking on Home Alone, a few years had passed since, like, his Brat Pack days, and he had taken some time off from directing to sort of find himself again. Um, He uh, was sort of put off by, you know, the fakeness of Hollywood, and he was, you know, he's one of those people that just, like, was never really cut out to be, like, in, quote, Hollywood. He just, like, was never that guy, and he ended up moving back to Illinois, which became uh, a really big this is a pivotal moment for john hughes in the world of the john hughes like pukey pukey hayes pukey hayes this was a big deal for john hughes in the sense that like all of his movies ended up becoming very inspired by chicago or illinois in some way um this kind of like set the tone for like this 90s era of his career like the 80s era was so specific and so sort of set in stone and iconic and classic and he had churned out all these giant stars and home alone really this helped to set off like this new phase for him um he macaulay was obviously pulled from school uh he ended up you know he never ended up going back and uh he said in an interview i was a kid so it was kind of weird for me but you know i almost don't know anything else he said i mean i realized that i was leading a very unique life and i was doing things that other kids my age weren't but at the same time um it was just so crazy how would you guys feel about a little home alone trivia courtesy imdb who is a sponsor of this podcast i'm just kidding imdb i know you're listening um so Robert De Niro was De Niro was actually considered to play Joe Pesci's role, which is hilarious because it's like let's find these two like truly um like insane like tr- fully uh Pukey Hayes sorry I'm stuttering fully 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 inappropriate men that are used to doing mob movies where they literally like bludgeon people with like like kitchen knives like hot off the the like heels of what was this like goodfellas era it had to be right or is goodfellas an 80s movie i don't know um but he ended up turning it down also kelsey Grammer was supposed to play uncle frank which he also turned down at the last minute but can we talk for a second though and can you just like let that sink in like really let it marinate uh, uncle frank is great he's iconic you know what i mean look what you did you little jerk it, it changed my life truly changed the path that my life was going to take um but i could picture kelsey Grammer delivering those lines incredibly like can you imagine like uh just a little sideshow bob moment happening in home alone like i love that um joe pesci had a really hard time not swearing in front of macaulay culkin and uh, that's where his his like mumble cussing came in which I can tell you as a child had a profound impact on me because I found the silver lining. You know what I mean? It was basically, it was cussing that you couldn't get in trouble for because it was truly mumbles. I, I, not like truly motherfucker, like that was like <laughs> a frustrated tween Troy. You would hear a lot of mother chugga frugga mothers coming from my mouth. Home Alone earned $258 million in U.S. and Canada and $190 million in other countries. The movie cost $18 million to make. Like, that is fucking wild. Uh, it was listed as the highest-grossing live-action comedy film in history for 25 years. Um, 
Also, by the way, Macaulay Culkin was like known for like being like a little improvised king. Um, he improvised his iconic cheek smack. Uh, originally, that was supposed to be where he would just like smack his cheeks and then scream. But he thought it would be funnier to leave his hands on his cheeks. Um, and he ended up looking like the, that painting. So they were like, uh, yes, King, like, go ahead and take over creative control at, at eight. Um, he also improvised the line, uh, ready to give up or are you thirsty for more? Which is like one of the greatest lines in the movie. The way that he delivers it is like, I, I'm, I'm really showing my cards here. I, 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 like, I really, I can't put into words to you, like how much I loved Kevin McAllister as a kid. Like, this was my choice Christmas movie. This was my family's choice Christmas movie. This was always what we would watch. And again, Macaulay Culkin to me was just like the coolest, funniest. I loved like a wise talking kid that carried like a slingshot. Um, Macaulay Culkin and Bart Simpson are the two kids that had the the big no mo <laughs> pukey haze. <laughs> um, they were the two people that had like, the biggest impact on my life as a kid, um, as far as, like, who inspired me to, like, be who I was at school, which is actually terrible, because in elementary school, I was, like, actually really bad. Like, I was, like, I acted out a lot, and I think it's because my influences were literally Bart Simpson and Macaulay Culkin, um, and then I'd seen The Good Son, and well, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, this film also, uh, was so successful that it prompted a term in Hollywood that executives actually still use um, to be, quote, home alone, which essentially means that there's a big, giant juggernaut movie in the box office that's there for, you know, you remember when Forrest Gump was in the movie theater for, like, over a year? And it's like every movie, no matter how great it was or how amazing the cast was or how big budget it was, um, it, it didn't really matter. So for a movie to be home alone, again, that's like a term that people actually still use, which is hilarious. Um, it was also nominated for two Academy Awards, which is something I think people tend to look over. Uh, one for best original song and one for uh, best original score. And like, the, I'm, uh, you know, not to be like a pompous uh, douchebag, but like the music in Home Alone is pretty fucking incredible. Like, there's no Christmas movie that I think of where the, like, when I think of the movie, my immediate thought is, in, the, in many ways, it's the music. Uh, I hate myself. Um, in many ways, the thing I think of when I think of Home Alone is the Christmas music. Um, so to say that this movie, you know, made Macaulay Culkin a star is quite the understatement. You know what I mean? They slapped his face on all these products, and, you know, he became a product himself. Um and around the same time that the film was released, his friendship with Michael Jackson became a huge media story. Uh, Macaulay Culkin was on the Mark Maron podcast, and he said that for a period in his life, Michael was his best friend because they bonded over the fact that they had very abusive fathers who sort of took their childhoods away from them. Um, and, you know, Michael was the adult version of sort of what Macaulay Culkin was like living as as a child, like... You know what I mean? He, They were sort of the mirror image of each other. You know, phenomenons, uh, abusive parents, you know, uh, fam you know, families that were all sort of pushed into the same career. Um, he was... They were living the same nightmare. You know what I mean? And um, Macaulay, Macaulay in that interview said, seriously, he was like, he was like my best friend for a good... <laughs> Pukey Hayes, you guys. I, we'll get through, though. 
seriously, he was, <laughs> he was like my best friend for a good long stretch. It was a legitimate friendship. It wasn't fake. Um, and I've also read stories about how, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stories about how, like, Michael would, you know, shut down amusement parks or, like, he would put on a disguise and they would go to, like, a movie theater or, you know, it was the 90s, they would go to, like, SeaWorld or whatever. Um, Michael actually came to visit McCulley on uh, on set and, like, hang out while they were filming um, Home Alone, uh, you know, and everybody obviously freaked out. Um and you know Macaulay is obviously still super close to Paris, so it, it, I don't know. I don't think young people really have an understanding of like how famous Michael Jackson was during this time in the nineties. It's like take the Kardashians, the level of fame that the, the Kardashians are at right now, and picture them to have a talent that is so mind blowing and like nothing you've ever seen that it makes people faint and cry i mean we've all seen those those videos of like concerts and stuff like when i think of like ravenous fans for me and i know that this isn't you know this doesn't speak for everybody but like my immediate thought when i think of like a truly ravenous fan is michael jackson it's seeing people at concerts like fainting i mean like do you remember being little or being younger and seeing those videos of people at concerts being um at his shows being like pulled out on like stretchers like I, that was what i literally how i learned what a stretcher and a gurney was because i remember seeing people just constantly you know them like constantly being pulled out of his audience on like stretchers from fainting at the sight of him um so when you add that to the fact that macaulay culkin was truly a pop culture phenomenon this was crazy um he went on to star in the Home Alone sequel, which was obviously super successful, and, uh, you know, started my go-to trope for when I when I don't shower or, you know what I mean, <laughs> like, even more so when I go visit my neighbors in my bathrobe, um, the Central Park Bird Lady. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've referred to myself as the Central Park Bird Lady. Uh, <laughs> she's my everything. Uh my actual by the way i love home alone but the good son is beyond i mean to see macaulay culkin like legitimately being bad and not in like a john hughes way but like a no i i i kill people way oh my god are you kidding oh my god any movie that in like i love a thriller you guys know I love a sexual thriller, but the thing that I love even more is, like, a 90s thriller like this that ends, like, with, like, a, a, a mountain, like, a, a mountaintop tussle, a person being thrown over a mountain. I mean, it's, it, it, the drama and all the things, I live. Um, the Good Son, if you haven't seen it, I'm disappointed in you, but it stars Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin's little sister, Quinn, um, uh, by the way, and again, another reference that, that really, really suck with me as a child. If I was being really bad as a kid, I would make a joke to my mom that I was, like, just being the good son. Which is actually really scary, because he was a little boy that murdered people. Um, now, when Macaulay got the call to star in Home Alone 2, his dad notoriously said that he uh, would only do the movie if he got the lead in The Good Son. Which, like, is something that maybe could have possibly happened, but they weren't ready to, like, negotiate that and put it in stone at that moment. So it really fucked up everybody's life. Um, 
It actually was a delay that cost the studio $4 million, and it cost 60 people their jobs during the week of Christmas. Um, and that was, you know, we're going to get into, like, the Kit Culkin of it all here in a minute. So really buckle up, because it's, it's a lot, and it's really dark. Um, also, by the way, he starred in My Girl, which featured his first uh, on-screen kiss. One of the greatest movies of the 90s, without any doubt. Um and at this point, he'd become known as the most successful child star since Shirley Temple. Um, and we also can't forget about this second stretch of his childhood career, like the Richie Rich and the Page Master era, um, where he, you know, his popularity had started to sort of slope and he fell into that trope that a lot of child stars fall into where, you know, he isn't as adorable anymore. He's going through puberty. He's becoming a teenager. They don't know where to place him. You know, his fan base is primarily, you know, younger people, but they also are ready for older people to start taking to him. But he's doing these young roles. It's a whole thing. Um, So, yeah, Richie Rich sort of solidifies the end of this, um, I guess, sort of phase of his uh, younger childhood. Oh, God. Oh, God. Pukey Hayes, you guys. Pukey Hayes. We're going to get through it, though. He decided actually to take a break from his career in uh, 1994 to focus on himself. Now, we have to talk about his parents for a second here. Um, you know, his dad was very famously super abusive when he was little to him and his siblings. Um, he has said in interviews and stuff that his dad would threaten him and say things to him like, you know, if he was on set, he would go up to him and grab his arm and whisper in his ear something like, you know, to get a, do good on set or I'll beat your ass after the scene is over. You know what I mean? A lot of, like, physical threats, a lot of physical violence. A lot of mental manipulation and mental games to kind of break his children down, specifically Macaulay. Um, His family also went from being super poor. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, You'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.